0: Welcome to the Valley Avon podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the opening message of the series, Pastor Rob explains why the Sermon on the Mount is the masterclass in discipleship, and what it really means to live a blessed life. Let's join Pastor Rob now as he begins with a word of prayer.
1: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we confess that you are the teacher. We are your students. And so, Father, we pray today that you would teach, that you would speak to us. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to open our hearts that we might learn. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this series on the Sermon on the Mount, this master class in discipleship today, we begin by asking the question, what can we do to get the blessed life? The Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 1 through 2, and I'd like to remind you of those verses now. Matthew writes, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. and When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So now what we discover immediately is that Jesus is drawing a crowd. It's early in his ministry, but already he's drawing a crowd. He's been teaching, he's been working miracles, and people are coming to him. The people that are coming to him are doing so with a lot of different agendas. Some of them are coming because they have questions. Some of them are coming to be entertained. And some of them are coming because they sincerely want to know more. Out of the crowd, there's a crew of people who are disciples of Jesus, followers of him, who seek to do life with him and to learn from him for the long haul. And then within that group of disciples is a group that Jesus has called out to himself, to do life with him, to learn from him, to imitate him, and to prepare to multiply disciples as he has multiplied disciples. These are the ones who will eventually be called apostles. These are all around Jesus. And so Jesus goes up on a mountainside to teach them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us which mountain Jesus goes up on. You're going to see a picture, and it's a view from a mountain, uh, the one that is traditionally linked with Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, you see the view from that mountain down to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, We know that Jesus went up on a mountain, but we don't know which one. Perhaps it's this one. When Jesus went up on the side of that mountain, the Bible says, though, that he sat down to teach, which means he assumed the posture of authority. And out of the crowds came his disciples. His disciples drew near to him so that they could hear his teaching as he taught them about the nature of the life of a disciple. Now, this is important because that means that what Jesus is doing here is the master class on discipleship. You see, a master class is when an expert teacher is teaching those who want to know something important about a subject. The subject that we have is, is the blessed life, life inside of the kingdom of God, life as a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is the expert. On the life of a disciple. So right here we have the master class in discipleship. And we're going to begin today with this question, what can we do to get the blessed life? That's an important question because we want to live the blessed life. And so we turn now to see what Jesus says because he he starts the Sermon on the Mount by addressing the blessed life. And as we begin to look at what Jesus has said, we're going to have to to back up a bit and and to to come away with some understandings. And the first understanding that we're gonna come away with today about the blessed life is that we should resolutely hope in the blessed life. We, We wanna resolutely hope in the blessed life because you see, before we dig into Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount itself, we have to back up a bit and think for just a moment about the kingdom of God. Because you see, when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it stands on the shoulders of what's happened at the beginning of his ministry, recounted in Matthew chapters 3 and 4. That's the backdrop, the context for the Sermon on the Mount beginning in Matthew chapter 5. What happens in Matthew chapters 3 and 4? In Matthew chapters three and four, Jesus talks prominently about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the place where God is in charge, where people know that God is in charge, and the fact that God is in charge changes everything. And in Matthew chapters three and four, Jesus talks prominently about this kingdom of God, The kingdom of God and the blessed life, as we will see, are strongly linked. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching and he's telling people that the kingdom of God is coming, but he says it's going to happen in some surprising ways. He says to the crowds that are gathered, made mainly up of Jewish people, that being descended from the patriarch Abraham is not going to be a guaranteed ticket into the kingdom of God. They were surprised at this news. If biology and heredity and ancestry don't get a person into the kingdom of God, what then gets a person into the kingdom of God? They were shocked and surprised. Then if we transition for just a moment to Luke chapter 4, Jesus says that that there are surprising outcomes to the fact that the kingdom of God is near. Luke chapter 4 covers the same period in time that Matthew chapters 3 and 4 cover. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, during the same period of time, it seems, went back to his hometown. He went back to Nazareth. And while he was in Nazareth, he went to the synagogue for a Sabbath day service. And during that Sabbath day service, he was invited to read from the scrolls of the prophets. And he picked the prophet Isaiah. And what he read is recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And he says, this reads, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor.'" He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus read. And then Jesus said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Now, that was a surprise to the people of his hometown because what Jesus was saying to the people of his hometown is that he was not there to do miracles and to put on a show for them. He was not there to make their lives work out for them. Instead, he was saying that the good news of the kingdom of God is going to be proclaimed to and change the lives of those who have not had good news in a very long time. The crowds in Nazareth were surprised. And then the crowds in Nazareth were angry because Jesus is saying to them that the kingdom of God is near, but it is going to produce some surprising outcomes. And then we find that the kingdom of God is near. It is surprisingly close. We go back now to Matthew chapter 4, and we see Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's begun proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and he says the kingdom of God is near. It's near. But when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is near, people had to look around and ask the question, really? Where? Because as far as kingdoms go, people could not see a kingdom. There was no land. There was no capital. There was no government. And people were asking the question, where then is this kingdom? The Roman Empire is still in charge of everyone's life. Where is this kingdom? There was nothing tangible that the people could see that looked like a kingdom to them. And so the question in their hearts is, if this kingdom is near, where is this kingdom? What Jesus was saying to them is that this kingdom being near is near in him. And we find the kingdom of God in our relationship with him. We find the kingdom of God through Jesus. The kingdom of God is surprisingly close in Jesus. Okay, so if the kingdom of God is at hand, if the kingdom of God is near in Jesus, that means that we must resolutely hope in the blessed life. Because you see, when Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is near, it is at hand, we too have a difficult time seeing exactly what it is that he means and and holding to that. We look around, and if the kingdom of God is the place where God is in charge, where God is recognized as in charge, and where God being in charge changes everything, we look at our worlds and we say, I'm not so sure about that. Because we look around at our world and we say there are a lot of people who don't recognize that God is in charge. And we look around at our world and we say that it is still broken, which means that at times we have a difficult time believing that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we recognize that when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, it means that it is coming as well. Jesus is going to return. As much as the kingdom of God is at hand right now, the kingdom of God is still not yet. Jesus will return and make the world as it is into the world as it should be. And so we still have to hope in the future, but sometimes it's difficult to believe and to hope in things that are to come. And Jesus says, when the kingdom of God is at hand, it means that the kingdom of God is right here in me. We are called to have faith in Jesus and to resolutely hope in Jesus. We have to recognize that there are times that that is strained as well. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, but we are called to resolutely hope that the kingdom of God is at hand. We are called to resolutely hope in the blessed life. I learned a little bit about what it means to resolutely hope in the kingdom of God riding the Batman roller coasters. I've told you before, well, I'm going to start with I don't like roller coasters, just just I'm going to get it out there. And, and it's because, as I've told you before, I am afraid of heights, and I really am afraid of heights. And so anytime I ride a roller coaster and they strap me into that little uh, car, I am convinced that I'm going to fall out of that car somehow or that I'm going to knock my head very hard on something that I don't need to be knocking my head on. I'm terrified every time I get into a roller coaster. But things are different when you get into a Batman roller coaster because in a Batman roller coaster, instead of them stra- strapping you into a car. They lock you into a seat and, and you have this, this getup that comes over you that is holding you in place and your feet dangle. And I like this so much better. I like this so much better, and I'll tell you why, and you, you just, just go with me here, because I'm about to tell you that I believe a lie, and you're gonna say, this is not actually true, and I'm gonna say, yeah, I know it's true, but I believe it, and it makes me more comfortable, right? I tell myself, in a Batman roller coaster, I, that, that I can hold on, no matter what happens, No matter what happens, I can hold on. And so I get into a Batman roller coaster. I get locked in, and I put a death grip on that strap. And I think I can hold on. Now, if you understand the way that I hold on to a Batman roller coaster, and you take out the fear of dying, then you understand a bit the way that we resolutely hope in the blessed life. Because you see, the Bible tells us over and over again to endure, to persevere, to be encouraged, to hold to hope. We resolutely hope in the blessed life if we want to get that blessed life. So first, we resolutely hope in the blessed life. What can we do to get the blessed life? Ironically, the second thing that we can do is stop trying to earn the blessed life. Stop trying to earn the blessed life. And now we need to dig into what it is that Jesus actually says in the Beatitudes that begin his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus writes or says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, So what does it mean then when Jesus says that we are blessed? Blessed are you. This is a poetic word that Jesus uses here. It's poetic in the original Greek. It is poetic in our language. We don't say it every day. Blessed. It, it means to be favored by heaven, to be filled with the life of heaven, to live a life on earth that feels like living in heaven on earth. In Christian theology, in the New Testament, to be blessed means to live inside The kingdom of God, and having been declared inside the kingdom of God to live with great joy as a result. That's what it is to be blessed. But who are the blessed? Who are the blessed? And this is where it's important to understand that this is the question that Jesus is addressing here. And it's important to remember that as Jesus teaches, when Jesus teaches, he does so in very concrete ways, Jesus points to things around people, and he illustrates the kingdom of God using the things that are around people, fish and bread and tactile things that we can see and touch. And so here, as Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, as his disciples are arrayed around him, as the crowds stretch out beyond him, as he says that people are blessed, just understand Jesus' teaching style. In all likelihood, Jesus was walking through the crowd, putting his hands on people's shoulders and saying, blessed are, and illustrating it with the person present. If he didn't touch them, maybe he pointed to them in the crowd. If he didn't point to them in the crowd, he was clearly looking at people, and they knew who they were. And Jesus is saying about people, they are blessed. He's opening wide the doors of the kingdom of God. Now, what does he say specifically about who is living this blessed life? It's surprising people. Jesus said that the poor in spirit are blessed. These are the ones who are bruised and beaten by life and those who have nothing spiritually to offer the kingdom of God. They are blessed. Those who mourn, they've lost someone or something, they've been judged, they've been beaten to the point of tears, they're going to be comforted. Those who are meek, they never assert themselves and they never get noticed. They will inherit the earth. It's their earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, you have to understand, they don't have it because you don't hunger and thirst for something you have. You hunger and thirst for something you do not have. They will be satisfied. Those who are merciful, they freely forgive and are sometimes taken advantage of, but they are going to receive the same kind of mercy that they have given, but they're going to be given it in a God-sized portion Those who are pure in heart, the perfectionists who are never satisfied with themselves, with anyone, or with anything else, they are going to see perfection in God himself, the only one who can satisfy them. Those who are peacemakers, they avoid conflict, they bring people together, and they find themselves caught in the middle when the shooting begins. They are the ones who are going to be called sons and daughters of God. Those who are hurt because they did the right thing, Jesus says, they get the kingdom of God. And from this point back, Jesus has been talking outward. They, he's speaking toward the crowds. But now he directly addresses his disciples And he says, you are in the kingdom of God. And they know that they are in the kingdom of God because they are right there with Jesus. But Jesus says, a day is coming when I will not be right here with you. And in that day, people are gonna revile you. They're gonna speak against you. They're gonna persecute you. That's what's coming. And in that day, you're gonna question whether you are in or out. But Jesus says, you will be in and you will have a reward In heaven. Surprising people are in when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus is implying here is that we cannot earn the kingdom of God. And if we can't earn the kingdom of God, then then it doesn't make any sense to keep trying to earn the kingdom of God. We can't earn the kingdom of God. Jesus has been hammering away at that point in the Beatitudes. He doesn't say that the people who are on top in society or or the spiritual with it people are the ones who are going to be in, in the kingdom of God. He says the people who have lost everything, the people who had nothing, the people who come with nothing to offer, these are the ones who are going to be in in the kingdom of God. And if it is the ones who come with absolutely nothing to offer who are in in the kingdom of God, then what does it mean? It means we can't earn it. We can't earn the kingdom of God. We can't earn the blessed life. Let that point sink in for just a moment. For those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, I believe that point is going to land pretty hard for us. And for those of you who are not yet disciples of Jesus Christ, there's an invitation that's wide open to you. You can't earn it. If we cannot earn the kingdom of God, the blessed life, if we can't earn it, then we need to stop trying to earn it. We need to stop trying to earn it. We live with the illusion that we have to earn, that we can earn the blessed life, the kingdom of God. If you became a follower of Jesus maybe years ago, and you think back to your experience of becoming a disciple of Jesus, of accepting Christ, you probably remember that way back when it happened, thinking that you had to earn it stopped you for a period of time. Because before you became a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you probably think, I don't deserve it. And because you thought, I don't deserve it, I can't earn it, I've done nothing to get it, you probably paused and took a while before you accepted Christ. But then you did. You accepted Christ. Because you realized, I can't earn it, I don't have to earn it, it's a free gift given to me by God in Jesus Christ, and you stepped across the line. But the irony is, and the insidious irony is, that after we step across the line of faith, when we abandon everything and said, I have nothing to bring to God, I accept grace given to me freely in Jesus. After we step across the line of faith, then we begin to believe again that somehow we can earn it. We couldn't earn it in the first place, but now that we've got it, we're gonna prove that we were worthy of it. We're gonna now clean up our lives and we are going to earn God's favor now. We're gonna prove to God that when he saved us freely by grace in the first place, he was getting a great deal in us. We couldn't earn it in the beginning. We can't earn it along the way. And every bit that we try to earn it stops us from experiencing the blessed life. So what can we do to get the blessed life? Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to earn it. And then get comfortable with being different. Get comfortable with being different. You see, it's interesting that that Jesus' beatitudes actually then do illustrate for us what the life of a disciple looks like, what the blessed life really looks like. On the one hand, Jesus is saying to us through the beatitudes that the blessed life is open to us regardless of whether we earn it or not. The gates of heaven are wide open to us. But then on the other hand, Jesus is giving us the values of the kingdom of God and implying that we should now live according to the values of the kingdom of God and that this is what it looks like. And that's the way Jesus' teachings always function. Jesus' teachings function on so many levels, particularly right here in the Sermon on the Mount, because we're going to find time after time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus flings open wide the gates of heaven and then calls us to repent and calls us to turn to God, calls us to live lives of holiness in obedience to him through his power. Jesus' teachings function on so many levels. And so as we look once again at the Beatitudes, what we discover is that Jesus is telling us what the blessed life is supposed to look like. Disciples, it turns out, are poor in spirit. We recognize our need for God. Disciples mourn. We mourn our own sinfulness, and we mourn the brokenness of the world around us, and we are comforted only by the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ and by the hope that the world will be repaired in the end. Disciples are meek. We are meek, but this is the same word that when Jesus uses it of himself later in the Gospels, it is translated gentle, Disciples hunger and thirst for righteousness. We thirst for God, and God satisfies that kind of thirst and hunger for us. Disciples are merciful. God has mercifully spared us from punishment that rightfully belonged to us, and we are to make that kind of mercy our template for the way that we treat others. Disciples have pure hearts. But it means that we are clean because we were forgiven in the first place by Jesus, and we are being made clean consistently, but through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Disciples are peacemakers, meaning that we resolutely dedicate ourselves to building justice and righteousness in this world, and when justice and righteousness are present, we have real peace. Disciples may be persecuted for what we do and say, and if we are, we stand up under it and Disciples may be rejected because Jesus was. And if we are, and when we are, there is reward for it. And so what we find in the Beatitudes really is a prologue to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, you see, is introducing us to what life in the kingdom of God, life based on the values of the kingdom of God the thought and the character of a disciple is like, and he's going to unpack and illustrate those thoughts throughout the balance of the Sermon on the Mount. Take my word for this. He will surprise us. He will challenge us at every turn if we're paying careful attention. You see, the blessed life differs from the life around us. Life inside the kingdom of God, the blessed life, is built on the values of the kingdom of God. And the values of the kingdom of God are different than the values of the world. Trust me, the world does not value meekness. The world does not value being persecuted and standing up underneath it. The world does not. The values of the kingdom of God are different than the values of the world, and we live when we live according to the values of the kingdom of God, we will be different from the world. And we don't always like being different. We don't always like, if you will, getting caught with a Zoom mullet. Do you know what a Zoom mullet is? A Zoom mullet is when you are staying at home during the pandemic and you've got business on the top and pajama party going on on the bottom. I think you're gonna see a picture of a Zoom mullet. We all got comfortable with Zoom mullets during the pandemic and it works out pretty good most of the time, right? You're on an earnings call and you've got the Zoom mullet going on and everything is going fine. You make your presentation but then realize, whoops, I've got something on the printer and you don't even think and you get up from your, your desk and you move to the printer and that's when everyone realizes you have those crazy pajamas on on the bottom. And it's an uncomfortable moment because you recognize in that moment that you are different. Everyone knows you're wearing a Zoom mullet and you are different and we don't like being different. But we have to get comfortable as disciples of Jesus being different. We live lives based on the values of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom values are different than the values of the world. And when we live out the values of the kingdom of God, we are going to be different. But in this case, different is good. Different is fine. And rather than being worried about being different, we need to get comfortable being different. Except for the Zoom mullets, please stop. It's time to dress like adults, okay? It's time to dress like adults. But this reminds us that life overflows when we live the blessed life. Life overflows when we live the blessed life. There's a classic Geico Gecko commercial that's out that I really think illustrates what it means for life to overflow. The Geico Gecko is in a home and notices that there is a leak in the ceiling of the downstairs and remarks that the water coming through the ceiling could indicate a burst pipe in the ceiling. And if there's a burst pipe in the ceiling and the homeowner doesn't have the right homeowner's insurance, this is an insurance commercial, right? Then the repair could be expensive for the homeowner. But if you've got the right homeowner's insurance, everything is going to be fine. That's the commercial part. But then at the end, they cut to what's really going on upstairs, because what's really going on upstairs is the kids in the house are having a pool party. They've inflated an inflatable pool, set it up, they have filled it up, they've got a hose putting into the pool, and they're jumping into the pool, and the dog is jumping into the pool, and they're putting the sides down on the pool, and they're adding more water to the pool. And what happens when you add more water to a full pool? It overflows. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying happens to us. Life overflows when we live the blessed life. And he describes this in two vivid images. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he calls us salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does he mean? He means that we add the flavor of God to the world. Then in verses 14 through 16 he goes on to call us the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others, so that you may see your so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says you are the light of the world. And he means that we bring hope into the dark places, hope into the hopeless places, the gospel to the places where there is no proclamation of the gospel. So what Jesus is saying here is that life overflows when we're living the blessed life. He says to us, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Jesus doesn't say to us, go become salt, go become light. No, he says, you are salt, you are light the flavor of God to the world, bring hope to the hopeless and dark places in the world. He's saying, we have been blessed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been deeply blessed. You've been forgiven by God. You've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. You've been given new life and you have the promise of eternal life that has started even now. But then God continues blessing us as we live our lives. God sanctifies us. He pours his Holy Spirit into us. He gives us a new purpose in life, and he enables us to live holy lives that bring him honor and glory. We are being blessed constantly, and life overflows when we are living that kind of blessed life because we are blessed to be a blessing. It's one of the fundamental rhythms that we find in the Bible, that the people of God are blessed, and they are blessed in order to bless others. Blessed are you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you. That's the good news of the Beatitudes. And that blessed life is given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. And God continues to bless us as a gift, to pour blessings into us, that those blessings might overflow and bless others.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.